Later this month, starting on June the 22nd, the Catholic Church in the United States is observing Religious Liberty Week. This follows on the fortnights for freedom that had been observed in previous years. The genesis of these observances comes from the Obama administration's contraceptive mandate that originated under the Affordable Care Act in 2011. Rules promulgated by the Department of Health and Human Services at that time required that most employers provide contraceptive coverage in their employee health plans. Although houses of worship were exempted, the rule applied to other church-related entities, including schools, hospitals, charities, and religious orders. There were many legal challenges to the contraceptive mandate from different Catholic organizations that were affected, the most famous of which was from the Little Sisters of the Poor, a religious order dedicated to caring for the elderly. In fact, however, many evangelical organizations fought the mandate as well, despite these groups not being uniformly opposed to contraception. I think that the Obama administration was surprised by the relatively united opposition that the Catholic Church and her allies put forth against the mandate. It ended up being a thorn in the administration's side rather than the other way around. Because here's the dirty little secret. The Obama administration didn't push the contraceptive mandate just because they believe that contraception is such a good and wonderful thing for every woman although, of course, they certainly do believe that. No, this mandate was imposed because it was viewed as the perfect wedge issue, one that would divide Catholics from each other. Because those who oppose the faith or the moral teachings of the church are well aware of the fissures and fault lines that exist in the church on the issue of contraception. Agitating the internal politics of the church on this issue, it was believed would blunt Catholic advocacy on other public issues where the church and the Obama administration disagreed, such as abortion or gay marriage. As I mentioned earlier, this year, 2018, is the 50th anniversary of Pope Paul VI's encyclical Humanae Vitae, which restated Christianity's long-standing disapproval of all manner of artificial birth control. Humanae Vitae was met at the time with hostility and rejection by many progressive Catholics, including some clergy, religious, and even bishops. Since then, contraception and many related issues concerning marriage and sexuality rooted in the Sixth Commandment have become the preeminent issues, over which many Catholics will openly, sometimes even proudly, declare themselves in dissent from the magisterium of the Church. Not just laypersons either. Oftentimes, these will be clergy and theologians and other authority figures within the Church. And they will do this while still claiming to be loyal Catholics. Now, I bring this up not to suggest that the Obama administration was being uniquely conniving in proceeding this way. The fact is, it's a maxim of politics. Split your enemies. Make it so that they fight amongst themselves. It's as old as Sun Tzu in the art of war. Divide and conquer. Truth be told, the pro-life movement does similar things, though obviously from higher motives. For example, the pro-life movement will propose that we ban sex-selective abortions or aborting children on their basis of having genetic abnormalities, such as Down syndrome. Since abortion for any reason is wrong, why would we single out these reasons? Well, precisely because it's a wedge that divides those who would otherwise support abortion. Because some who support abortion will think it's wrong, 
to abort a baby on the basis of its sex or its genetic health. And so the response of pro-abortion forces to proposals like these are blunted, which allows the pro-life movement to gain purchase towards ending abortion altogether. Jesus, of course, recognized that unity was imperative to the success of the church. Satan thrives in dividing Christians from one another, because when we are fighting amongst ourselves, we aren't growing in faith, hope, or charity. We aren't able to demonstrate much in the way of gentleness, reverence, or humility. We don't radiate joy. And certainly, when we are busy fighting amongst ourselves, we have neither the energy nor the credibility to spread the gospel or to make a positive impact in the political or social order. The formal divisions that exist in the body of Christ between differing churches, Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant, are certainly regretful and scandalous when we recall the words of Christ for his disciples at the Last Supper. Father, I pray that they may be one. But even more insidious sometimes are the divisions that exist within the Catholic Church herself between people who all claim to be united in the same faith. When these differences are over fundamental moral and doctrinal truths that the church stands for, the situation is disastrous, as we saw in the ugly aftermath of Humanivite. I can't tell you the number of times that as a priest I have raised something as basic as the church teaching about purgatory or the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist or sex outside of marriage, and a person often a self-identified Catholic, perhaps even a weekly or daily mass-goer, will say in response quizzically, oh, I thought the church doesn't believe that anymore. Well, they think that because they were told that by some priest or nun or so-called Catholic expert, and because that way of seeing things probably fits with their underlying disposition in the first place, well, that's what they latch on to. But division in the church is not only scandalous when it reaches the level of dogmatic or moral truth. It can exist anytime. There are resonant differences in the way the life of faith is expressed. Differences that contradict the logic of Christianity. When we do not share, as St. Paul said, the same spirit of faith. As a priest, I encounter this frequently when someone compares what they see or experience at one parish with another. At that parish, they do this, but at your parish, they do that. Or you say we have to do it this way, but another priest told me it's okay to do it that way. How disedifying that is for all concerned. And the things that they bring up are not usually trivial, insignificant differences. They typically arise from a failure or not to comply with the sacramental and liturgical law of the church and an orthodox sense of worship. These things go to the very heart of how people experience the faith and consequently what they come to believe about it. The church has an old Latin phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief. How we pray and how we celebrate the sacraments and the liturgy, which is the public prayer of the church, will come to determine what it is that we believe. I'm sure all of you have visited Catholic parishes where the celebration of the holy sacrifice of the Mass feels more like a poorly done high school musical, an impromptu guitar session, a bad opera, perhaps a TV talk show. Even assuming that no explicit truth of the faith is denied in that way of celebrating the Mass, does anyone think that the average person 
who has been formed in that kind of liturgical celebration is apt to really believe that they are receiving the body and blood of our Lord in the Eucharist? Or do you think that a Mass done that way helps people to believe that they have been called there into the house of the Lord? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a legitimate kind of diversity that exists in the church. Indeed, the manifold variety of Christian vocations and the ways of living out those vocations to serve God and neighbor are seen in the rich lives of the saints whom we honor and imitate. That's the poetry of the church. But the prose of the church, which is no less important, is found in the church's abiding concern that we celebrate the Mass and the other sacraments solemnly, reverently, and prayerfully, and with dignified uniformity and precision in our sacred actions and gestures, which are meant to express the sublime realities of the faith. To be the undivided church that Christ compels us to be, we need unity in both orthodoxy and orthopraxis. Orthodoxy, of course, is right belief about all the dogmatic and moral teachings of the Christian faith. That kind of unity should be a given, albeit in practice, it's not actually there. But we also need unity in orthopraxis, meaning correctness in how the faith is expressed in the liturgy and sacraments and the other public celebrations of the church. Because belief and practice are inexorably intertwined. We see a failure of this sometimes, for example, when a family wants a funeral mass celebrated for a deceased loved one. And their overriding concern seems to be that the mass include some particular piece of music because that was so-and-so's favorite song. And they want it even if that song creates an atmosphere or expresses ideas that are foreign to the sense of the church's funeral rites or to the Christian faith altogether. Now, obviously, the church is not going to have a rule or a law about the appropriateness of every song or about every novel action that someone might want to do at Mass or in receiving the sacraments. But keep in mind, too, even where the church does, for whatever reason, provide for some multiple options, we have to recognize that not all options are thereby equally good and fitting. That's when we have to ask ourselves some deeper questions like whether what we are doing or want done really signifies our conformance to the heart of the church and the spirit of Christ that constitutes our faith? Or does what we are doing or want done express our faith in a dignified way, a way that reflects the solemnity of the liturgy and the sacraments that Christ willed for his church? Or am I simply importing some other secular or personal concern that resonates with me for whatever reason? to the exclusion of the unity of faith and practice that we as Christians must always strive for. We have to sear into our minds the words of Jesus Christ. A house divided against itself will not stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.